This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. He was going the right way. Cohen, all the way. Touchdown, Chicago. Levine, he goes right by. Stop it, Samson. Did you not get the memo? He didn't come for the massage. He came for the facial. Oh, my goodness. Chicago's Game Day. Garcia's home. Hanson scores. Sacks Lyman. What a comeback. Trubisky escapes again, and he's got plenty of room to run. Look at him go. And there's the athleticism for the rookie. Back toward the wall. It's gone. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Good morning, everyone. Fred Hubner with you here for the next two hours. 312-332-3776. That is the phone number. You can always get to me at Fred underscore Hubner. That's H-U-E-B-N-E-R. Um, hope everyone's having a great day. It should be one of the best days of the year. I'm looking at my watch. It says it'll be up to 71 today. That'll be very, very nice. Of course, it'll be down to the 50s later in the week, and I'm sure we'll get more rain. But enjoy the day when you can. Uh, Perfect weather on a Saturday and a Sunday here in the city of Chicago. So enjoy when you can. If you're going out to the Cub game, it's it's an evening game, 6 o'clock. First pitch, you can catch it on ESPN-TV this evening. The Cubs with two straight wins over St. Louis. The Northsiders have now won six in a row. And uh, they are just a half game back of St. Louis in the NL Central. we got a lot of things to talk about. So jump on if you want to talk some baseball or if you want to talk some Kentucky Derby. We'll do that in the first hour. We'll talk to Jesse Rogers about an hour from now at 11 o'clock. He will jump on in. we got a lot to get to. We also have, i got an article I want to try and get to somewhere here in the first hour that says why the NBA playoffs will be a brutal brick fest. And we'll get to that in a second, too, because Adala and Black are huge NBA guys. And they were talking earlier about how the Bulls don't shoot threes and all the other stuff. And uh, there was an article in Men's Journal. Yeah, I was reading Men's Journal. Uh, basically, I was sitting in a doctor's office, and uh, I saw Chris Evans, who played Captain America, um, on the cover. So I picked it up, and there's this article by a guy named Devin Gordon. Why the NBA playoffs will be a brutal brick fest. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Sports. Okay, that's why we're here at Sports Talk Radio here on ESPN 1000. And I've got three brother-in-laws. I'm just prefacing all this stuff. I have three brother-in-laws. I know everybody doesn't care about sports. Uh, my wife's doctor says, you watch baseball. Why would you watch baseball? It's three and a half hours. Why? Read a book. Do something else. My brother-in-laws, three of them. Could not care less about sports. I don't think any of them have ever sat down. Oh, well, my brother-in-law Joe does. He, he'll he watch hockey and some other stuff. But my other brother-in-laws just have no interest at all in sports. And the thing about sports is you can see something every single day that you have never, ever seen before. Okay? Yesterday, the Cubs were trailing the St. Louis Cardinals by a score of 5-1. to one. This after Michael Waka got a two-run single. This after, you know, strange things happened. The uh, Cubs and Cardinals were nodded, and all of a sudden the Cardinals come up with a big inning. It's 5-1 to one in favor of St. Louis. And then the bases are loaded. 
Now, Wilson Contreras had the day off yesterday. But filling in for Wilson Contreras, who's only up because Victor Caratini has, you know, is injured, is Taylor Davis. Now, most people going into the game yesterday, you may have said, who is Taylor Davis and what does he do? And you may not have known, unless you're a diehard Cub fan. Well, Taylor Davis strolled to the plate yesterday. And the first pitch from Michael Waka went a long way. Here's Davis swing and a high fly ball. Left field on its way. Gone! Taylor Davis. They intentionally walked Schwarber and he hits a grand slam. Wow! His first hit of the year. And for Davis... He'll circle the bases, and he's tied this game up. Unbelievable. Highlights courtesy ESPN Radio. His first hit of the year. He hits a grand slam on the first pitch after the Cardinals walk Kyle Schwarber to load the bases. And Taylor Davis, as he's rounding the bases, has a big smile on his face. And why not? Right? It's 5 to five, it stays that way, and the Cup bullpen who came in, and we'll talk about the Cup bullpen a little bit more in a second, a lot more with Jesse Rogers. But Cup bullpen doing the job yesterday. They had six relievers go five innings, no runs, three hits, a walk, and seven strikeouts. But the game was tied at five, going to the bottom of the eighth inning. Cubs weren't getting a lot going, and then Javi Baez, after a ball that he popped up down the right field line was actually reviewed and found that it was in foul territory. Javi, it was a good thing for Javi, good thing for the Cubs that that ball was ruled foul. The wide, the kick, the 2-2. Swing and a drive, right field. Hit towards the bleachers. Gone! Over the right center field wall. Javier Baez will touch them all. It's number 11. What a battle, what an at-bat. And just like that, the Cubs... In the bottom of the eighth inning, are leading this game 6-5. to five. He is something else. Yep, Javier Baez with the home run. The Cubs go on to the 6-5 win. They've won six in a row. They are now 18-12, and 12, just a half game back of the Cardinals in the uh, National League Central. Cardinals, as I mentioned, a 5-1 lead. They went 3-13 for 13 with runners in scoring position. Uh, but Taylor Davis, the grand slam. Javi Baez with a home run in the eighth inning. You Darvish. Was pitching okay, then all of a sudden, bad things happen. When you Darvish starts to struggle, you almost have to get him out immediately. He was throwing pitches that were nowhere near the plate. Uh, Darvish, four innings, five runs, six hits, five walks, and four strikeouts. And Darvish, yeah, he knew he had some struggles. Yeah, my fastball, you know, was really good today, but so... My problem is, you know, I can't throw a strike with a fastball. But now I can throw more strike with a two-seamer. So I can build up more. I, I'm close, you know. But I want to pitch good, but the first goal is the team win. And the team did win. 
Six to five, thanks to the uh, two home runs, the grand slam by Taylor Davis and the solo shot in the eighth inning by Javier Baez. The Cubs have been stepping it up big time. Six straight wins. They've taken the first two from the Cardinals in their big weekend series. Game three coming up tonight. It'll be Adam Wainwright against Jose Quintana. Uh, Quintana, after pitching two or three really good games, not so good in his last outing. See if he can bounce back later on tonight. Then the Cubs, this is the start of a 10-game homestand. So after today, they'll have seven games left, four against Miami and three against Milwaukee. Milwaukee right now, they've won two in a row. They are a game and a half back of the Cubs, two back of the Cardinals in the Central. This appears that it's going to be a race all season long. And this is pretty much what everybody talked about when the season began is that the National League Central is going to be tough. It's going to be interesting all year long. You have teams that are stepping up. Um, the Pittsburgh Pirates, not so much. They did part, start off well. Um, and now, right, uh, they're, they're at 500, 15 and 15. The Reds are 14 and 19. They are six back of first place, St. Louis. Uh, Reds, though, brought up one of their young guys. We'll talk more about him next hour, Nick Senzel. And, um, so we'll talk about him. The Reds, uh, Got a, uh, it was a nice game yesterday for, for them, but, uh, we will talk more about that, uh, throughout the course of the game. And now I tell you that every day in sports, you see something that you may have never seen before. Well, last night, the White Sox were trying to bounce back from a, uh, night before when they had lost six to one on Friday night to Chris Sale and the Red Sox. They only scored one run, five and two on the nine game homestand. It was a 10 game homestand, but they had a rain out. So they were five and one. They lose on Friday night. It's already guaranteed to be a winning homestand when they had the five and one record. Yesterday, uh, Manny Benuelos getting the start and Manny Benuelos was untouchable at the beginning of the game. Really? I'm not, I'm not kidding. Benuelos, I'm looking at some of the tweets. Benuelos like a machine through the first two, 21 pitches, 15 strikes. He's perfect through two innings. And then something happened. And I don't know what it was, but after Manny Benuelos retired the first eight Boston Red Sox, something bad happened. Well, if you're a White Sox fan, if you're a Red Sox fan, or if you're not a White Sox fan, it was comical. Uh, Vasquez with a single. Benatendi a single. Betts a double, couple runs scored. J.D. Martinez a double, another run scores. Bogarts a homer to left, scoring Martinez. Chavez with or Chavez make that with a homer to center. Uh, Devers a double to right. Pierce a single to left. Nunez a homer. Vasquez a single. After giving no hits up and retiring the first eight batters he faced, Manny Benuelos then gave up <laughs> ten straight hits. The Red Sox strung together 10 straight hits, ending one hit shy of the Major League record during a nine-run third inning. In that inning, everybody in the lineup got a hit, and everybody in the lineup scored. I don't know that I've ever seen that. Excuse me. I don't know that I've ever seen that in the, what? I've been watching baseball since 1965. So uh, I don't know that I've ever seen that in one inning. Ten straight hits, nine runs, everybody in the lineup with a hit and a run. But that's what happened yesterday. The White Sox go on to a 15-2 loss. Carson Fulmer came in after that, got out of the inning. 
Then the next inning, Carson Fulmer allows the first six men to get on base. This one, it was not meant to be. For the White Sox or Carson Fulmer, who after the game got optioned back to Charlotte. Now, I had this all tweeted yesterday. I'm sure that Carson Fulmer is a nice guy. I've met Carson Fulmer. Nice young man, went to Vanderbilt. Let him be a nice young man somewhere else. Um, I, I don't know that Carson Fulmer has it in him to pitch in the major leagues. He has the stuff, they say. But he is just not major league ready. I don't know that he ever will be. The sad part is, when the White Sox drafted him high in the first round a couple years ago, Walker Bueller, who also pitched on the same staff from Vanderbilt, went like the 23rd or 24th pick. What was And who was watching the Vandy pitching staff that said to themselves, you know what, this Walker Bueller is pretty good, but we got to have Carson Fulmer. Who was it that made that decision? I'd just like to ask them, what happened? What did you not see in Walker Bueller that you saw in Carson Fulmer? Obviously, 22 or well, 21 or 22 other teams decided that Walker Bueller wasn't good enough, and they didn't draft him in that in the first round of that draft either. But the Dodgers did. And he's a much better pitcher, much more ready. It looks like he can become a dominant pitcher in Major League Baseball. So the White Sox wrap up their series. They've lost a couple in a row. See, going into Friday night, when the Sox were facing their former Southpaw, Chris Sale, who had not had a win yet, the White Sox were one game under five hundred. And it's like, okay, cool. Now, we don't have visions of grandeur for the White Sox this year, but they could have gotten to 500. And that's what you want to do. You're in a rebuild. You want to get to 500. You want to hang around 500 all year. They've lost two in a row. They're now 14 and 17. Dylan Covey will pitch today. He's in the starting rotation because Carlos Rodon is down with an injury, which could be a Tommy John surgery, which could be out for another year, year and a half. Rick Porcello going for the Red Sox. Uh, after that, the White Sox hit the road. And they go to Cleveland and Toronto. And um, we'll keep you up on the White Sox. Maybe we'll get Bro Connor to talk about him sometime soon. Uh, and actually talk White Sox. That would be interesting. Again, every day you see something you may have never seen. You see a Taylor Davis Grand Slam. You see Manny Benuelos giving up 10 straight hits in the third inning, and nine runs score in the inning. And then the yesterday. When I was growing up, I grew up in, I grew up in Cicero, and uh, every night I would hop on my bike. Grew up on 26th in Austin. I would hop on my bike, and my dad would give me some money, and I would go to the newspaper stand on the corner of Cermak and Austin. And I pretty much knew the guy. I don't remember his name. But every day, he would have the program. And I don't mean the racing form. He would have the harness program for the next day. So I've been going to racetracks since I was a sophomore in high school. And um, because I did have to go to school, I was always a fan of harness racing because they ran at night at Sportsman's Park, which, you know, rest in peace. It then became an auto racing track. And now it's actually a warehouse for Rocky Wirtz and the Wirtz... Um, beverage company, um, and then Hawthorne race course out there. But yesterday was the Kentucky Derby. And I know on Friday there was a lot of Kentucky Derby talk. And there are a lot of people that couldn't care less about horse racing, could not care less about the Kentucky Derby. 
But I went to Oakbrook yesterday when I got done doing the show with Murph. Murph and Fred, Saturday mornings from 9 to noon, um, here on ESPN 1000. And I went over to Oakbrook, and I stood in line for, uh, let's say, 25 minutes just to make some bets on the Kentucky Derby. So the people that may not care about it, there are OTBs all around the Chicagoland area, and they were all full yesterday. I don't mean awful. They were all full because everybody gets interest in the Kentucky Derby. Now my wife, I laid the paper out for her. She picked a couple of horses. I threw some money on a couple of horses to watch in the Kentucky Derby. Got home yesterday afternoon and watched it. And you also heard it here on ESPN 1000. Maximum security keeps on fighting. Maximum security won the Kentucky Derby, but as I'm watching the race, I'm watching and I bet a horse, I bet the 13 horse yesterday, Code of Honor, and the 13's coming in along the rail, and I see maximum security swing out and impede some horses, and then come back to the rail and bump the 13, who I thought was going to make a great move along the rail and win the race. And I'm going, I told my wife, I go, you know, they're all talking about maximum security. There's going to be an objection in this race because what that horse did was wrong. You can't do that in horse racing. I know the people that don't know, oh, what's wrong with bumping? What's wrong? Well, I was hoping for the bump because, of course, I had a code of honor. Thanks to Eddie Olchek. I had code of honor. And my, um, you know, I look at my ticket and I say, oh, this would be, this would be great. I, you know, maybe they'll move it up. Maybe they'll be, but Code of Honor was not the horse that filed the complaint. There was another horse that filed the complaint because of what maximum security did. Now, just to get a little bit of information on NBC TV where the race was, uh, Randy Moss, not the one that played football, uh, Mike Tirico and Jerry Bailey. Broke down what happened in this race. Maximum security, the, the horse across the wire first in the pink silks. He's running in lane two right now. You'll see him shift out through that little lane of water to the right-hand side of the water, impeding number one, War of Will, with the white blaze down his face, and in turn impeding long-range Toddy, the horse directly outside War of Will. Illegal in racing. The horse on the outside, the ultimate winner by disqualification, Country House, was clear of the fracas to his inside. He wasn't bothered at all, despite what Flavian Pratt said at one point after the race. He was the beneficiary of what maximum security did to War of Will and Long Range Toddy. Now, I don't know at all if it was, if it matters if that horse was affected, but what the winner did was wrong and it had to be moved down. And uh, the Kentucky Stewards are very consistent. This was a tweet I was reading yesterday as a guy that knows horse racing a little bit. He said, that type of infraction would have warranted a disqualification in any race, including the Derby. The people that are seemingly stunned by a horse coming out four paths and causing two horses to steady sort of blows my mind. The right call was made. And without a doubt, if you know anything about horse racing or if you watch horse racing, the right call was made in that. And Mike Tirico who did a great job. Five hours of coverage yesterday. They had all kinds of people. Uh, Tom Brady looked kind of funky with a weird-looking hat on. Um, but Mike Tirico asked the experts, Bailey and Moss, about the decision. 
did the right thing happen? You hate, you hate to see the best horse. By the letter of the law, time. yes, the right yeah. thing happened. But maximum security, make no doubt, was the best horse in this race. Absolutely the best horse. But when you look at it from the standpoint that what Luis Saez did or what maximum security did, what they did together at the top of the stretch, nearly caused a disastrous situation, then you can't really complain about it. Because if you let that go on, Mike, it's the Wild West out there. It happens all over the track then. Yeah, it is the Wild West out there. You can't do it. Now, bumping cars is a little bit different, but you you know, even in NASCAR, you can't be impeding other people's um, progress. In horse racing, you got a four-legged animal with a guy on on top of it, and what the, and my wife looks at me and she goes, I feel bad for the jockey. Well, yeah, because the jockey said that turning for home, the the crowd was loud, and he said the horse is just a baby. He got scared. Well, they're all babies. They're all three-year-olds. That's what the Kentucky Derby is. It's a race for three-year-olds, okay? So they're all young horses, and it's not surprised that it got spooked a little bit as it came into the stretch. But you can't do that. And, yeah, you feel bad for the jockey. You feel bad for the owner, the trainer, because... You know, maximum security probably was the best horse, but I would, I would, Code of Honor, I thought had a really good chance on the inside. So that's another thing you've never seen before. It was the first time. Let me just get it right here. Country House declared the winner. Maximum security became the first horse in the history of the race to be disqualified after crossing the line first. Now, maximum security will get a couple more chances. Can run in the Preakness, can run in the Belmont. But um, it was a fun day af- afternoon. It did take a long time, and we took we thought reviews in <laughs> we thought reviews in football and reviews in baseball take a long time. This one took about twenty minutes, and they had to make sure. And what the person on Twitter mentioned is, in any other race, this would not have taken so long. They had to make sure, though. By the letter of the law, and there's three stewards that make the decision. And there's three of them there because they need a consensus. Two, At least two of the three have to say, yes, disqualify the horse. And they did. And actually, for me, and probably for Eddie Olchek, because right before the race, everybody gave their picks. And Olchek was the only guy that had a code of honor. Okay, he had Code of Honor and then three other horses in uh, trifectas and superfectas and things like that. But Code of Honor, I thought, had a chance. Code of Honor finished third. It was a third horse to cross the finish line. But because of the disqualification, moved up to second. So you get place and show money. So as a result of that, I'll be heading to Oak Brook today to cash my ticket. You want to jump on in and talk about it? 312-332-3776. Fred Hubner with you here uh, till noon. We've got a lot to get into. We're going to talk a little bit, and I do mean a little bit, about the Bears kicker situation. Also, if you're just tuning in now and you missed Black and Abdallah, what's wrong with you? Get up early on Sunday. Tune in to Black and Abdallah. They're on from 8 until 10 before me on Sundays. And yesterday, Chris Black went over to Wrigley Field, not to see the Cub game, but because Mitchell Trubisky was there. And Trubisky was pushing a new product that he is endorsing. And they're healthy chips. And uh, Chris Black had a chance to talk to him. Now, if you were listening to Black and Abdallah, you heard the interview earlier today at 8.30. If you were not listening, then you should check it out. It'll be on the podcast on the Best of 1000. 
you can find it. It was right around 8.30. And check it out because uh, Mitchell Trubisky all over the place yesterday. He picked game winner. I was watching the broadcast of the uh, Derby yesterday, and they had Mitchell Trubisky pop up and pick the horse. He picked game winner. Was not a winner. And... um but, yeah, check it out. Chris Black having a chance to talk to Mitchell Trubisky. And uh, they're best buds now, I think. I think they're hanging out this afternoon, maybe watching some NBA hoops. Uh, don't forget, we've got basketball coming up later on today here on ESPN at 1000. We come back a little bit about the NBA, the Bears kicking situation, and there's still hockey going on. We'll talk about that and more. Fred Hubner with you. 312-332-3776 here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. I'm easy like Sunday morning. Oh, welcome back. Fred Huebner with you till 12 noon. We talked a lot in the first half hour about things you... You know, sports, you never know what you're going to see when you sit down to watch a game or an event. And yesterday we saw a horse disqualified in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, the winner disqualified. First time that's ever happened. Also, we saw a pitcher, Manny Benuelos, give up 10 straight hits, nine runs scoring. Everybody in the Boston Red Sox lineup got a hit and scored in the third inning against the White Sox in a 15-2 win by Boston. And yesterday we see Taylor Davis get his first hit of the year, a grand slam, which tied the Cubs game with the Cardinals. And then Javi Baez goes deep in the eighth inning of the Cubs win, 6-5. They are trying to win their seventh straight game today. It will be actually a 6 o'clock start, 6.05 on ESPN TV. Wainwright against Quintana. Let's get to the phones before we get to some other stuff. Jesse Rogers, top of the hour, talking baseball. We go to Melrose Park and Jim, you're on ESPN 1000. Hey, Jim. Hello. Hey, uh, thanks to Eddie Olchuk's pick, uh, I wheeled the exact up, and when it came in, thirteen, uh, you know, twenty thirteen, that was fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah. Um, so what? You took the thirteen with everybody? With everybody, yep. Cost eighteen dollars. That's pretty good. That's that's really. So, I know that here the other day on the odds couple with uh, uh, Carmen DeFalco and also Mike North. North said you should always bet two dollars on all the long shots in big races like that. Yeah. So that even if you say say half the field, okay. Uh, so you would have spent like eighteen bucks and you would have won one hundred and thirty-two. But what well, you did, what you did, was a lot better. I, I also had two across the board because my sister takes anything with country in it. I had two across the board when he got promoted up. There you go. But they warned the jockeys after the jockey picture. I saw this live on Friday. Stay in your lane. Don't mess up. With this many horses, we will disqualify you. So if a horse had fallen down, it would have been an obvious disqualification. But the jockeys know when another jockey does wrong. Yeah, oh, yeah. So it- that's... They definitely don't. And, you know, I was worried that one of those horses, when you saw the replay, they're, they're lucky that a horse didn't go down. And get trampled by... Ten other horses, yes. Right, right. But and th- just not- because a horse didn't fall down doesn't mean it wasn't a foul. No, I agree with you completely. And they made the right call, Jim. Congratulations! It's a, it's a, it's a good day for you. And I'm sure, uh, I'm sure Eddie probably cashed a little bit too. Yeah, have a good day, Fred. Thanks, Jim. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. We go to Liberty Lake and David. You're on ESPN one thousand. Hey, David. Hi, Fred. David Spada. What's up, I'm David? I almost hit another Vegas moment. I'm watching with my family on TV, and I'm like, ooh, shoot, I lost. I had it because I had uh, 13 horse going right. in place. So I'm like, oh, jeez. So then I'm watching, and I'm like, wait a second here. They're having a review. 
And I want to give them uh, credit for basically making that change because if they didn't, I mean, I think, I mean, it would have been a big travesty there because, again, in other sports, I don't think the rest would have, in essence, the balls to make that kind of call there. But, again, they did, and you got to give these stewards credit there for making that call. And then I'm also happy that I was on Express Bet and did it because I would have ripped up the ticket and threw it away like I did in Vegas, and I would have been out. Yeah, I learned. Yeah, David, years ago I learned that when you bet a race, you never, ever throw your tickets away. I even saved my three losers yesterday just because when I was a kid, I used to go to the track, and I learned never throw your tickets away, never rip a ticket up because you never know what's going to happen. Oh, exactly. And I, I listened to North Summer. I, I took all the 15 to 1s except for the 265s. I'm like, those horses have no shot there. Yeah. Yeah. So he, I would have won there, too. I mean, I figured. I did the glue factory. Yeah. David, thanks. I did something real similar to that. I took right before the race, I went online and I took two of the long shots, and I did not take that one. I took the four and the 19, and they finished. 18th and 19th in the race, or 17th and 18th, they were the last two finishers. Well, now when you look at it historically, maximum security will be the last finisher in the race. So, yeah, it was an interesting race. The Preakness comes up in a couple of weeks. We'll see how things go for that one and see if maximum security runs in that race. Big day, obviously, in the NBA. Yesterday, an overtime game, Houston 126-121 win over Golden State. Um I was looking in the doctor's office, I mentioned earlier, I was looking at the men's journal, and I came across an article that said, why the NBA playoffs will be a brutal brick fest. Now, actually, the article I saw was a little bit different. I went online to look for it. What the article I saw had was the NBA's three-point problem. Pro basketball is obsessed with the long bomb, but with players bricking a record number of deep shots, will the fixation backfire? So I went online to look for it, because otherwise they have to read it off my phone because I took a picture of the article in the magazine and on the online for Men's Journal, Devin Gordon, who wrote the article for Men's Journal, uh, updated it a little bit. I want to read some of this to you. And the reason I'm doing this is Black and Abdallah were on earlier today and talking about Jim Boylan getting his contract extension and how if you look at the statistics and everybody does now the analytics, uh, the Bulls don't shoot the number of threes that is necessary in the NBA right now to win games and that. This is an interesting article. Let me read a bunch of it, okay? Um, there is only one sure thing in the Springs NBA playoffs, and despite everybody, uh, everything you've read, it's not a Golden State Warriors three-peat. Uh, it take like an act of God for them to lose. Yes, the Splash Brothers simultaneously blowing out their ACLs might do the trick. But hey, you never know. The only true take-it-to-the-bank guarantee in these playoffs it will be a brick fest, the likes of which pro basketball has never seen. Three-point shooting has been accelerating for a while now. Teams are taking 60% more threes than they did a decade ago and nearly 140% more than two decades ago. The problem is, though teams are taking more bombs, they are not much better at making them. League-wide, players are hitting only 3.2% more threes now than they did 20 years ago, resulting in a soaring number of bricks. Fans now have to endure an average of 20 deep misses per game, up from nine. I'll get back to the article in a second. Yesterday, the uh, Golden State was 18 for 42. So that's, let's see, 20, uh, that's 14 misses. No, 24 misses. I'm sorry. That's 24 misses. They made 18. They missed 24. And Houston was 14 for 33. So they missed 
uh, 19, okay? Just to give you some, uh, you know, some update after what happened yesterday. Back to the article. Coaches and GMs argue that threes are the most effective way to win, and that may be true. But the trend reached new heights of ugliness this year. James Harden, one of the league's best shooters, set a record for averaging 13 three-point attempts per game, but he missed more than eight. That's one deep brick for every four minutes he's on the court. In January, his team, the Rockets, attempted a record 73s in a single game, missing 47 of them. Though, to be fair, Every other serious title contender, Golden State, Boston, Toronto, shot and missed more three-pointers this season than they did last year. Now, over the past decade, the NBA has exploded in terms of growth, popularity, and value, and the in-mass turn toward mad bombing has surely contributed. But what if playoff games like that train-wrecked Rockets-Warriors Game 7 become the norm? Consider baseball's steroid era. Fans dug the long ball for years until the novelty wore off when half the league began striking out three times a game. People don't enjoy watching futility, even when, over a large sample size, it leads to a team's success. Lots of fans and some players already seem to be souring on the Bombers who shoot threes just well enough to make every miss statistically justifiable. Just look at Harden's this year. By the end of his incredible 32-game run of scoring 30-plus points, he was all but apologizing for taking so many shots, telling reporters, quote, they're going to go in eventually. Then there's Russell Westbrook, another polarizing star who takes far more threes than his 28% accuracy warrants. Much was made about his poor shooting this season, but after he basically bricked the opposing team back into the All-Star game, even some of the staunchest defenders started to turn on him. Now, the scourge could get so bad in the postseason that bolder coaches may start. Here's here's the part I wanted to make sure everybody heard. The scourge could get so bad in the postseason that bolder coaches may start swimming against the tide. Will we see a swing back towards hyper-efficient mid-range demons like Dwayne Wade used to be? And the scorers built to exploit a generation of kids who've been taught only to defend the three. Maybe. Not in the next two months, though, and not soon enough to stop the Warriors because as long as they keep living off the three, the rest of the league will keep dying by it. Really good article, I thought. Uh, Devin Gordon in the Men's Journal. Another reason I bring this up, the playoff viewership is down 20%. Now, I understand the NBA's popularity has been high. Some people will say, well, the... The reason that the um, playoffs is down is because LeBron's not there. That could be. Or it could be the situation that people are getting tired of watching people miss three-pointers. Yesterday, again, the the two teams combined yesterday to make 32 three-pointers out of 75. Okay? That's not that good. Today you've got... Uh, a couple more games, Toronto and Philadelphia. We've got that one on our air a little bit later on. A 2.30 start. Philadelphia up two games to one. Portland up 2-1 on at Denver. Now, usually on the show, I don't talk much NBA. And people will say, well, you're just bringing this up because you read it and you don't like the NBA. And this guy said the NBA might change. Uh, yeah, that's basically what you can do on your own show. Okay, and that's why I'm bringing it up. But... You look at it, and the NBA watching team shoot the shoot. If you don't have three point shooting, and say, "Listen, we need three point shooting. Our guys have to go out there and shoot threes, and they don't make them," then you have no chance of winning. So even now, 
they're not shooting. Yesterday, surprisingly, they shot, both teams shot pretty good percentages. Golden State shot 42.9%. Houston shot uh, 42.4% yesterday. So even though they didn't make half the shots, they're three-pointers. They count for three points. It's a good thing. Um, but maybe in the long run, people are going to go back to playing the game differently and taking advantage of another shot. Uh, some people say maybe push the three-point line back a little bit. Maybe then it wouldn't happen as much, and people would actually play basketball. If you get a chance, and you're listening to podcasts, earlier today on the Peter Burns Show, at about 7.07, 7.06, 7.07, they were talking about something similar, talking about people not watching as much of the NBA playoffs and people talking about the misses from threes and things like that. Check it out. You can find that in the podcast also. Probably have to search for it. Uh, but the Peter Bird show that was on earlier this morning, about 7.07, 7.08. And uh, the NBA is, everything's good right now. But that could always turn. We saw everything good with baseball. And now you look at stadiums everywhere uh, that are less than half full. Yesterday in Los Angeles, or in San Diego, actually, Dodgers and Padres, full house, because short ride for the Dodgers, about 50% of the crowd was Dodger fans yesterday. And we'll have some highlights from that around uh, 1130, some uh, baseball highlights around Major League Baseball, some great ones, because that's another thing we like to do on Sunday mornings. Talk about the Sox, talk about the Cubs, and talk about some of the other baseball highlights you may have missed, because there are some great baseball being played and if you're a baseball fan, you like to concentrate on more than just the local teams. But if you're a Cub fan, you want to focus on the Cubs because they've won six in a row. We got Jesse Rogers joining us top of the hour. There is still hockey being played. We come back, we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, 312-332-3776. Jump on in. Fred Hubner with you. Baseball talk next hour here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Hubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Some Cubs talk top of the hour with Jesse Rogers. 11 o'clock hour, pretty much all baseball talk. Um, basically every Sunday when I'm here, uh, lots of baseball talk, talking baseball. But uh, let's go back to some hoops. Uh, Hyde Park, Xavier, you're on ESPN 1000. What's up? What's good, man? I just, I think, you're, I, I think this the podcast you're listening to and the conversation you're having about threes hurting the playoffs is completely off base. I think the number one thing hurting the playoffs is LeBron James made a bad move going to the Lakers. There's no LeBron James. He's the biggest star in the game, whether you love him or hate him. And if Michael Jordan wasn't in a playoff game or Kobe wasn't in a in, in a playoffs. Uh, the, the ratings would have been down then, too. I, I don't think it has anything to do with three-point shooting because the stats that you gave for three-point shooting are good stats. They were 40%, 41%. For yesterday, they were. Stat for a team to shoot from three. Right, yesterday they were. Huh? Yesterday's stats were good, I, and I mentioned that. Yesterday's I think, I think, were good. I think Golden State has a history of having terrific three-point shooting stats. I don't think yesterday was an anomaly. I think their, their whole team is based on that. Right, and again, if you if you listen to everything I wrote, said there are going to be how many teams can do that? Two or three can make that many threes. So what is the are the yeah, other and those are, all are there other teams. are the love, other twenty eight? I love watching. Are the other twenty eight teams in baseball? Are the other twenty eight teams in the NBA just going to struggle? And every year you're going to battle it out with the two teams that are best three point shooting teams. Well, it's always been like that. At one point, it was who had the best centers when 
Shaq was dominating. They were going up against teams that were trying to go get a center to try to maintain Shaq. It was at one point it was like Jordan. There were guys the Pistons uh, had a team. They're like there's always two or three top teams. When it was the Pistons, it was the Pistons and the Lakers. Then it was the Bulls and the Lakers, and then it was the Bulls and Phoenix for a while in Utah. Like there's always two or three top teams in the league. That's how it is. It just rotates, and and when it rotates, that's when the game changes. So the thing that's going to make Golden State and teams stop playing like Golden State change is it will be somebody coming in with small ball like, I don't know, Kawhi Leonard figuring out a way to make his his game more effective. Right. But that change has to that change has to beat them. It's not going to change because of viewership. It's going to change when they can beat the when they can beat them doing it and right now nobody can beat them. Well, you have a guy like uh, Eric Gordon had a great game the other day, right? He had, but yeah. but usually Eric Gordon's not the greatest of three-point shooters otherwise he wouldn't have been on one two three four, four teams already okay so but yeah. when when a guy like that hits his shots then good things happen but a majority of the time you're going to watch Eric Gordon go out there and miss his shots I, I don't know about that what is his I don't I, I can't look it up cuz I'm in my car I don't know what his career three-point shooter shooting percentage is but I think Eric Gordon is considered a pretty decent shot I don't think he's out there, uh, uh, you know, thinking it up like you put it. And even and even with the shot, like, I, pre- I would prefer to see James Harden shoot 13 and shoot 40%, shoot 13 threes. I would rather see that than to slow it down and dump it into a power forward that's going to dribble 16 times uh, and back it in and just slow the game completely down. Let me ask you another. I'd rather see guys shooting. Because that leads to open offense and great dunks and great stuff like that. Xavier, let me ask you one more question before I let you go. Would you rather, when when uh, uh, it's not a Waddle and seg- uh, Sylvie segment, would you rather, but w- would you rather see James Harden <laughs> actually pass the ball sometime late in games instead of just clearing out and having him try to make all of his shots? Uh, no. I mean, if, 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 they <laughs> okay. had better, if he had better people to pass the ball to. Well, who would, how would you, how, there's nobody I want to see take a shot but him. Okay, okay. My question would just be, how would you ever know? He he rarely does, if ever, uh, pass the ball to anybody uh, late in contests. Uh, Xavier, appreciate the call. I know there are diehard NBA fans that think right now it's a great time in the NBA because people are nailing threes. Um, but you look at a situation now where with the Bulls, which we're going to see a lot of over the next couple of years, they're trying to get more players. If something happens and they get a John Morant or they get Zion Williamson, neither of them are going to be come into this league and be tremendous three-point shooters, okay? Because they're not tremendous three-point shooters in college. As a matter of fact, Zion Williamson is not a great outside shooter. Uh, in college, um, none of the Duke players are, and three of them are going to get drafted in the first four or five picks. So you're then you're relying on okay, well, what's going to can Zach Levine become a better three point shooter? Yeah, it's great when he starts nailing them, but when he doesn't make them, forget it. That I love watching a guy like with the Bulls when Larry Markkinen comes in, and you see Larry Markkinen hit his threes and then drive to the basket and do other things. One of the one of the main reasons I read the article is there's nothing I dislike more than watching an NBA game and just seeing guys just set up for threes. I know the analytics say you, you shoot from here, you don't have to make as big of a percentage, you get one extra point. And that's what's happening in a lot of ba- uh, basketball. For a lot of fans, that's not what they enjoy watching. For some of the younger fans and some of the, I guess, millennials and more knowledgeable fans, they like that.
I'm not a big fan. You could be watching hockey because there's still hockey going on. The Wolves game three of their series, the Calder Cup Central Division Finals. Today, 3 o'clock, they lead Iowa two games to none. It's a 3 o'clock start. The Wolves still playing hockey. Baseball talk, we come back here on ESPN 1000. Talking baseball with Fred Hubner on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Makata drills this ball right field. The only question is which deck. It's a two-run homer. A comet on a progressive field. Swinging at a fly ball to right and deep. Get up! Get up! Get out of here! Gone for Yelich! You can't do that that easy. How about that guy, folks? We're talking baseball. In the air to right center field. How about this for a homecoming? That is crushed into the second deck for Bryce Harper. And he gives those Phillies fans a chance to jump up and down one more time. This ball is K-I-L-T killed. My goodness. Chance to walk it off against Neil Ramirez here in the ninth. And when he gets apart, then it goes far. It dies deep to the Talking Baseball with Fred Hubner on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Oh, yes, indeed. The Cubs do win. Fred Hubner back with you till 12 noon. Talking some baseball this hour. And the Cubs have made a habit of winning the last week. They've won six in a row. And uh, they go for seven today in a three-game sweep of the St. Louis Cardinals. You get to enjoy your Sunday before you have to worry about the Cubs and Cardinals. A 6.05 start, a game that'll be on ESPN TV as it'll be Adam Wainwright against Jose Quintana Quintana trying to bounce back and to talk more about the Cubs. We bring in our guy, Jesse Rogers. Jesse, how are you today? Good, Fred. How are you doing this morning, pal? I'm doing good. Yesterday, when you joined us, uh, me and Murph, yesterday morning, um, we talked a little about about Javi Baez, and uh, it seems like we can almost talk about Javi each and every day because, uh, you know, yesterday he hits the home run that wins it in the bottom of the eighth inning, uh, continues to make some great defensive plays. He's he's nuts on the bases. He just he goes runs runs like crazy. And he does wonderful things. He he was going to second base yesterday, and on a ball that was hit the right field. And earlier in the game, I'm not sure if he got thrown out or somebody else got thrown out going to third. And as Javi's going to second base, he's just waving his finger at the right fielder like, uh-uh, I'm not going there. I'm not testing you this time. He is just fun to watch if you're watching him at the plate, in the field, or on the bases right now. Well, I mean, uh, I would think the Cardinals, uh, next time it comes up, if there's a review, they'll want a double instead yes. of a home run from him. I think I mean, so. That, that, that turned out to, to work against the Cardinals, uh, having that play uh, fall called as a foul ball. He just has uh, an amazing knack for the dramatic, doesn't he? Eighth inning home run, what he does, like you said, on the base pass. He's just amazing. And uh, I got to admit, I was one of those guys in that, uh, oh, maybe they should trade him a few years ago. I mean, it sounds silly to say now, but 
we all remember there was a time where this was no guarantee. Sure. A lot of swing and miss. There's a lot of routine errors, but this is why you can't make snap judgments. I mean, he's not the only reason. Many, many reasons when it comes to the game of baseball. You have to look at a body of work. You have to let a guy grow. All those things apply. And look what he's grown into. Probably, not probably, I think he is the most valuable Cub. I mean, I never thought I'd say that with a with a Brian and a Rizzo on this team. But, you know, Buster only wrote about it today on ESPN.com. It may have been on ESPN+. Plus, But um, just the idea of Baez getting an extension, uh, that's, that's I, I think, has, has uh, gone to the forefront of the, the conversation with, with the core Cubs. I mean, it's got to be him if you're choosing between guys. Um, it has to be him over some other guys. That's what it feels like right now. He's the face of the team. He's playing the most important position. He's he's playing all facets of the game. So how could you lose a, a guy like that in a few years? But, you know, nobody's a free agent uh, in the next 12 months. So right. you have time to figure this all out. But, I mean, he is as valuable as they come right now. So do you think, and um, I wasn't going to bring this up, but you talked about it, and I know it was talked about a little bit earlier in the week. Do you think Javi is a guy that would actually even consider signing early an extension, an early extension, instead of waiting until he becomes a free agent? I mean, I do. I can't say that for sure, though. But, right. yes, I do. I think he is. Now, I, I don't think he's going to settle. I, I do think, uh, you know, I, when I say settle, I mean a below-market deal. We've sure. seen other guys take below-market deals. Yeah, I, That doesn't mean he won't give a hometown discount. I think most guys understand they have to give some sort of a hometown discount because what's the point then for the team? If the team's going to pay them the max, they may as well just let them go to free agency if they and see if they, you know, they're going to get more than the max. So the point is, the team has to get something out of this, and that's a little bit of a hometown discount. But there's a difference between hometown discount and below market. I, I'm pretty sure he's not going to do the the you know the Braves Albies who signed right. that, that terrible below. He's not going to do that from everything I know about him and his agents. But I do think he's willing to sign up before free agency, yes. I mean, you look at his numbers right now. He's got 11 homers and 26 RBIs, uh, 318, 353, 659, which gives him an OPS of 1.012. Uh, he's just doing everything for the team yesterday. But they all had to thank the guy who got his first hit of the season, yeah, Taylor yeah. Davis. And the weird part is, they, you know, the Cardinals seem to do everything right. Okay, second, third, you walk Schwarber, you put him on base, you put the lefty on base, you bring up Taylor Davis with the bases loaded. Uh, a little bit slower, better chance to hit him into a double play. And, uh, you know, Waka just makes a mistake, leaves the first pitch right there, and Davis jumps all over it. He had to surprise everybody. I think so. I mean, look, the Cubs have been looking for catching help ever since Caratini went down. They've been, you know, sort of looking to replace Taylor Davis. But Taylor Davis is one of those stories you just love. He's a grinder, um, appreciative of the position he was in. I saw him in Seattle. We were both uh, checking out the first Starbucks together just okay. randomly. I saw him in the first Starbucks ever, and we were just talking about, wow, this is cool. This is, you know, we're in the first Starbucks ever, and you know, he could have walked down Chicago and not been known, let alone Seattle, the streets. You know what I mean? Like, no one knew who this guy was, and now all of a sudden he's center stage in baseball with this grand slam. Um, just great. You know, and it's proving something that I that I sort of downplayed earlier in the, in, in the season, a month ago, I guess, is that I didn't think this team had as much depth, but all of a sudden it is showing up a little bit more, especially now that Edwards and Happ are looking better down in the minors. I did say a month ago that some of their secondary pitchers were probably better than their frontline guys, and Kyle Ryan jumps to the forefront when you think about that. I mean, what a performance yesterday to come in with the bases loaded, 
and get two ground balls. So I, I said from the beginning there's been more depth on the pitching staff, and I think it's starting to show up. But, but I didn't think there was as much depth, um, uh, you know, in terms of the position players. And actually, you see Taylor Davis, and as, as bad as Marcus Agunas is in the field, he's actually provided some offense. There is more depth on this team than I thought coming out of spring training, and you need it. Look what Davis did yesterday. Without that, they lose the game. So you need that depth. You need that third catcher. You need that extra outfielder. You need that extra infield, that pinch hitter type. And I thought, you know, without Lestella, they lost a little bit of offense in that category. But they've made up for it. They have more depth than I thought. Okay, the, the last two or three weeks, Murph has continued to put the same poll question up. Uh, when you look at the Cubs, which is the most important thing for the Cubs or what they're better at right now, hitting or pitching? And every week, you know, the most important thing I think for them is pitching. And every week, fans say hitting is most important. Um, it shows again yesterday, uh, not what you Darvish did, but what the bullpen did. Six relievers yesterday, five innings, no runs, three hits, a walk, seven strikeouts. And you mentioned what Ryan did. The, the, you know, nobody knew Webster and Ryan and, uh, you know, Brad Brock actually got off to a yep. little bit of a slow start. But these guys are all seeming to do the job. I don't know. I'm sure how much credit Tommy Hadovy gets for all this. But he looks cool going out there with his hoodie. Yeah, you know, Tommy gets the, gets as much credit as he would blame. I mean, right. however, you know what I'm saying? Like, he, he gets credit um, along with all the pitchers. But the pitchers are the guys that are actually doing it. And he'll, he'll, he gets blamed when the pitchers fail. So it's, it's, it's a team thing. You know, you can't just give give one guy the credit or one guy the blame. It's a team thing. But if guys are having success uh, under a manager, under a pitching coach, under a hitting coach, then sure he gets credit for that. Um, but, yeah, it, it, yeah, look, I think, and, and not I'm only using this as a, as a term not to compare it to war or anything, but I think people have PTSD when it comes to the, to the hitting, meaning, right. meaning they're left over from last season. They're so nervous about this lineup. But I think the first month has proven that last year was probably more the fluke than the rule. Think about it. Uh, they've had a good offense for four years other than two months. Other than two months, they've had a good offense. So last year was really the exception, not the rule. Um, they've had good pitching tests for four years, other than some ups and downs here and there. They've had a good team for four years, for God's sake. We, we seem to always act like it's a 78-win team coming off of last right. year. Um, it was just a bad, bad finish. We all agree on that. So at the end of the day, you're right. Pitching is more important. It's why uh, Theo went to the lengths he did in spending money and assets on the starting staff as Arietta was moving on, as Lackey was retiring, as Jason Hamill was moving on. He didn't, well, he wasn't able to develop, draft, whatever, so they spent money and spent assets on the starting staff, and they pieced together a pretty good bullpen uh, four years in a row, maybe even five years now. Uh, and I always thought the bullpen was better than that first week or so. Um, and maybe it's not this good because it's been, like, top of the league since. Right. It's somewhere in the middle. Uh, and I think once the hitting conditions get better, uh, I think that you're going to see a little bit more offense from the opposition. Uh, but that's okay because everything's relative. The Cubs should score more when the, when the weather turns as well. Maybe tonight will be a night. But, yeah, I'm with you. The pitching has been key, and it will continue to be key. That's obvious. I want to ask you about Darvish. But first, since I mentioned Tommy Hadovy, do you think in the situation that Joe Madden is in right now where – he is the lame duck manager. He doesn't have a deal for you know going beyond this year. Do you think Tommy Hadovy as a pitching coach has his ear a little bit more than pitching coaches in the past? And the reason I say that is there's been a couple of times where, you know, about a week or two ago, there was a situation where 
I want to say it was the seventh inning, or uh, let's see, had to be the uh, seventh inning, and it looked like they were going to get Cantana. And Hadovy was talking to Madden, and Madden even said after the game that they talked and they decided to leave him in a little bit. Do you think that Hadovy maybe has his has Joe's ear a little bit more because of the situation Joe's in, or is it just you know just the way things have worked out? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I don't know for sure. I, right. can't, I mean, every I can't say for sure, but I don't think so. I mean, Chris Bosio was around a long time, before, knew the pitchers before Joe. I would imagine he had Joe's ear, okay, especially. Just, in Joe's first year, you, you'd think he'd rely on Basio. He knew Jim Hickey forever. They worked together in Tampa. He must have had his ear. Now, I don't think it's any less with Tommy. I don't know if it's any more uh, because he's known Tommy for several years in a different role. It's not like Tommy's brand new to the organization. So uh, it might be more because Tommy does know these pitchers intimately, having done what he did last year on the computer, talking to these guys, and now he's in a, you know, you know these pitchers in two different roles. That just helps. Um, in terms of information that you can uh, relay to the manager. So it's possible he has it more, but probably not. It's probably the same as ever. And Joe relies on his pitching coaches. Most managers that weren't former pitchers do because they those pitching coaches will see something mechanically. Um, a lot of times Joe will look at the radar gun. He looks at that. But I think the pitching coaches can see a little bit more nuance and, and, and give Joe a better assessment. So I think it's about the same as, as it ever was. It seemed like yesterday when Darvish was losing it, it seemed like when he loses it, he loses it. I mean, he couldn't get a ball over the plate at one at one point. There were a couple of batters where everything he threw was in the dirt or, you know, Taylor Davis did a heck of a job keeping everything in front of him. Um, what are your thoughts on what Darvish did yesterday? Here, real quickly, here's a comment from him yesterday, and then we can talk about more of a, you, Darvish. This was Darvish yesterday after his outing, which turned out to be four innings, five runs, six hits, five walks, and four strikeouts. Yeah, my fastball, you know, was really good today. But so my problem is, you know, I can't throw a strike with a fastball. But now I can throw more strike with a two-seamer. So I can build up more. I, I'm close, you know. I want to pitch good, but the first goal is the team win. And the team did win yesterday. They won six in a row. Your thoughts on what you saw from Darvish yesterday and him going forward? Is he just a every other day? Because I don't know that we see him getting on a roll kind of like some of the other guys. Well, he said it, and he's at least being honest. So it's obvious anyway. I mean, you can't throw a fastball for a strike. I mean, Joe talks about this often. If you can't do that, you're you're done. I mean, you know, if you didn't have a $126 million contract uh, and, and and maybe some minor league options, they'd send him down to find, you know, you got to throw your fastball for a strike. Yeah. Now he, he, he can survive a few innings here and there, a start here and there. But to be honest, if you look at the body work since spring training, he's not been able to throw his fastball for a strike consistently. Again, there are moments where he does, but more moments that he doesn't. And that is a problem. Why? I don't know. I don't know if it's a release point. I'm not smart enough to know. Obviously, they don't know for sure. I mean, it's your fastball. This is what you've been doing your whole life, for God's sake. He can throw his off-speed pitches for, for strikes better than his fastball. What he did in coming out in that fifth inning is such a mystery. It's almost like he's hurt. If I didn't know better, I would have watched that fifth inning after the Cubs tied the game, and he walks those first two guys not even being close. Right. I would think he's hurt. Now, I don't think he is, but he was so out of his mechanics, so off, you would say he's 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 laboring, he's he's favoring something, and that's. But I don't think he's hurt. I just don't know what to, to think of those pitches. There's so so many non-competitive pitches out of him um, that it, it's you know when he's going well, there might be a few non-competitive ones they swing at. 
but they're not even coming close to swinging at some of these pitches because they're just not fooling anybody. So I, I don't know what to tell you except to say it's been a year-long thing, and that's why every time he's had a good outing, I've like most people, you know, they'll take it with a grain of salt. You, 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 you wait till the next one. You never say he's there. You know, we've never thought that. And yesterday was another indication he's not there, even though until yesterday he was taking baby steps. The fastball was never there for more than, let's say, one start at a time. It just wasn't. And yesterday was another great example. Another minute or two with Jesse Rogers as the Cubs got a 6.05 start tonight. It'll be uh, Wainwright against Quintana. Cubs going for their seventh straight victory. Um, the upcoming schedule, they got Miami for four games, and this comes in a perfect time with the Cubs on a roll playing well, and then they end up with Milwaukee. But a couple days ago, and I can't remember if it was Javi or somebody else, I read somewhere, it might have been you, it might have been somebody else, that they asked um, one of the players about the upcoming schedule and about how important it is to play St. Louis in the big three-game weekend series, and the player didn't even know who was playing. He just knew they were coming home. Do the yeah, play- Oh, okay. Do the players, I mean, is that rare? Do you think a lot of these guys know it? And when they see the Cardinals, do they get super pumped up and think it's a more important series? Is there still, I know there's a rivalry with the fans, but do the players feel those kind of things? Yeah, I mean, he may have been a little tongue-in-cheek. I mean, most guys know the next series. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, they know the next series. They may not know two or three series down the road. And what, what, once in a while, I forget who they're playing next. Sure. They're on the grind in the B. You know, oh, uh, yeah, that's the St. Louis, you know, whatever. So it happens. But um, they, I think they get up for in-division just naturally. I think they do. They know the division. You know, the easiest way to win the division is to win within the division. You know, have some incredible record within the division. Um, and and I, I think they sort of get up for that. But so always always preach, as most managers should or do, uh, every game means the same. I right. mean, they really do. Now, again, in division is kind of two-game swings compared to playing the Marlins. And in fact, I probably wor- worry most this week about tomorrow's game, especially if they win the night. You know, the, the, the huge letdown game would, would, would come tomorrow. And then this, whole, uh, this Marlins series sandwiched in between the Brewers and Cardinals. So um, there's always reasons to worry. You know, if you're playing a tough team, if you're playing a bad team, you always can make up a reason to, to be concerned about your opponent. It's probably a good idea. You don't want to... You don't want to get caught sleeping. So um, most guys understand what, what's in front of them, yes. And uh, they try not to get too high or too low, especially in May. But, look, it happens. You get up for a big series Sunday night baseball. You, you get a little more focused. It, let's, again, you would not be shocked, right, if they won tonight and then lost to the Marlins tomorrow. Right. We, would see, we could see that storyline um, uh, appear. And I'm sure, Joe, if they win tonight, we'll be hammering that. Don't have a letdown. Don't have a letdown. You can say it. It could still happen. Then again, it doesn't have to happen. Right. With baseball, the beauty of it is you just don't know. You can't read it until it happens. And then you kind of look and can look back and say, oh, this team stayed even keel about it, or this team dropped, or this team got up, whatever. We don't know going in. We can only assess it after the fact. Jazz, you look at the standings right now, and the Cubs, uh, they are, they're one better than Cardinals in the loss column with 130 games to go. So... Yeah, yeah, that tells you about that first week. But, you know, even though we could all say, oh, see, everybody was stupid panicking the first week. No, you weren't. No. Because they, they were on the verge of, of really cratering. And remember, you could say, yeah, they could recover from 1-8 and eight or 1-9. and nine or one. Yes, of course they can. But the, the longer that went on, the less chance they have at recovering. Because now negative thoughts start to creep in. Pressing starts to happen. So, yes, it was easy to predict the turnaround at 2-7 and seven or 1-6. and six, But... That's because that's more manageable 
than than let's say another fourteen games of going to. If they were four and fourteen, we wouldn't be talking so so uh, right. brilliantly about something. So you know you you're always worried, and that's why Ben Zobris was great during that stretch. He's like, yeah, I know it's early, but you still can't get into this hole that you can't climb out of. And they were close to it. They weren't there, but they were close to it, where it would have taken a real, real, you know, thing for them to get out of it if it had gone to one and ten, one and eleven. So it was important for them to stem the tide when they did. And yeah, even though there's a one, there's so many games left, it was important for them to turn it around, and they did. Okay, this is the first of three straight Sunday nights that they are on Sunday night yeah. game of the week, ESPN. Do you get anything special to do that we get to see you on TV at all? There's no baseball tonight because I believe we're airing a game from Mexico with Sutcliffe uh, broadcast. They're going right from that game to this game, okay. I think. Okay. I think. I could be wrong. It could be an NBA game. Anyway, there's no baseball tonight, so I've got no duties tonight. But over the next couple of weeks, if there's a baseball tonight, and I think there is, there will be. Now, on one of the broadcasts, they're going to air some interviews that I did with the players in spring training. And I hope people watch it. It, it might be during, like, the StatCast stat broadcast. You know, there's an alternate. But a lot of the Cub players, starting with Chris Bryant, um, answered some fun questions. But the most fun I had was asking about sabermetric stats and their thoughts on them like, and what WOBA meant and WRC. Right. And none of the players knew what they meant. They all crapped on these stats. Uh-huh. They all dissed them. And, and Bryant was the, was the most entertaining of them all. So I think those will run during the StatCast broadcast. I don't know if that's tonight or next Sunday, but... Tune in pregame, during game. You'll see some good stuff from the Cubs that I, I did these interviews way back early in spring training. Sounds great, Jess. Enjoy your day and then the game later on tonight. I'm sure you'll be busy throughout the week. Uh, what better than Sunday night on a on a beautiful day with yeah. first place on the line? How perfect is that for the Cubs if they actually win tonight, sweep the Cardinals into first place? I mean, you, uh, the Hollywood script for early May couldn't be written any better than that, right? No, it's absolutely perfect. You, uh, you never know who's going to step up after Taylor Davis does yesterday. That's so correct. thanks That's a lot, exactly Jess. Right. Appreciate it. You got it, Fred. Take care. Jesse Rogers, and uh, he will be at the game tonight, and no doubt you will hear him all over the station the next week as the Cubs remain at home. They've got Miami for four games after the Cardinals leave town. Then Milwaukee comes a calling. The White Sox also in town at the same time, and uh, the White Sox are wrapping up their series with Boston. Believe it or not, despite a 6-1 loss Friday night and a 15-2 loss yesterday, the White Sox with a win today will split the four-game series. It will be Dylan Covey going against Rick Porcello. The lineup out for the White Sox. Uh, it is a 110 first pitch on the south side. And uh, game on NBC Sports Chicago. Lurie Garcia in center. Moncada at third base. And I'm not sure why they don't have Moncada bet second all the time. I don't like him betting fifth. I like him at number two. Uh, but then again, no one's asked me. Uh, betting third, Jose Abreu. And Abreu had an interesting uh, time last night. He hit his seventh home run. He drove in the two runs the White Sox scored. He also made two errors in one inning. So Abreu's hitting third. DH is Alonzo hitting a fourth. Then Tim Anderson is fifth at shortstop. Moron Anderson in second. Nicky Delmonico is in left. Wellington Castillo behind the plate. He is hitting seventh. Eighth is Yomer Sanchez at second base. Ryan Cordell is in right field. And Ryan Cordell had a similar problem to what Daniel Polka had last year. Polka with 27 homers last year struggled. Ryan Cordell came up this year, uh, looked really good at the start. Cordell is struggling right now at the plate 
Good to see him, though, out in right field. He is a very, very handy. Tim Anderson was named the player of the month in the American League. And why not? He he hit really, really well. He hit 375 in the month of uh, April. Okay? Since then, Anderson was 0 for 2 yesterday. He's 2 for 17 so far in May. He's seen his average fall from 375 to 336. Uh, he's made eight errors this year. He made 20 all of last year. His defense improved last year. It needs to continue to improve for Tim Anderson be, to be the player he wants to be. Okay? Um, just hitting and not improving your defense is not going to help you become the player you want to be. And uh, Tim Anderson, he made a play the other day where he nonchalanted the ball to his left side. Ball went off his glove. This White Sox team with the pitching staff that they're having with so many struggles, they cannot afford errors in the field. And I speak of their pitching staff, and I've got a lot of stats on that too, how bad this pitching staff is for the White Sox this year with injuries and everything else. The Sox starting pitchers have an ERA of 682 in 151 and two-thirds innings, nine quality starts out of 31 games. Their rotation is has a 9.28 ERA at home this season. It'll be Dylan Covey on the hill today against that really good Boston Red Sox lineup. You knew after their slow start they wouldn't be held down for long. Um, good news for the White Sox as one of your players of the future, Luis Robert. He went from high A to a double A. Yesterday we had Kurt Bloom from the Birmingham Barons, or play-by-play guy on, and uh, Luis Robert had yet to get a hit in three or four games in double A. Not last night. Four for five, uh, three singles and a double. So that was good to see. We come back. A lot of highlights from around Major League Baseball. We're talking baseball. Fred Hubner with you here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Hubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome on in. Fred Hubner with you till the top of the hour. We've talked a lot of baseball this hour, as we always do here on Sunday mornings. Uh, we'll have some NBA later on this afternoon as we have the Toronto Philly series uh, here on ESPN 1000. The uh, Cubs looking for the sweep, their seventh win in a row as they take on St. Louis later on tonight. The White Sox, they have their fourth game, fourth and final game. Uh, it's a nine-game homestand. They uh, won. They were five and one after the first six. There was a rain out there, so with the five wins, they're going to win the homestand. They just would like to make it uh, six and three instead of five and four. See if they can do that today. Dylan Covey going against Rick Porcillo uh, on the south side at guaranteed rate field every um, Sunday. I'd like to play some highlights from the day before because Saturdays all the teams in baseball play. And there are highlights everywhere. Now, the first highlight is actually from a guy that most people, a lot of people in baseball are not a fan of. Uh, he threw one of the uh, trainers or a, a guy that did uh, some testing. He threw him under the bus. He said that he did not take performance-enhancing drugs. He's now back uh, the last couple of years with uh, the Milwaukee Brewers. And um, I, you may or may not like Ryan Braun, but he had one heck of a night last night. Here's Ryan Braun, keeps on hitting. Had three hits last night. His first of this game coming in the fourth. Little chopper by the mound. Rosario 
No play. Braun is aboard. Tie-breaking homer last night. That was in the fifth inning. He shoots one through and in the right field a base hit and the winning run is aboard. Tie-breaking homer last night. That was in the fifth inning. He shoots one through and in the right field a base hit and the winning run is aboard. A liner over Alonzo and down the right field line. Braun with the big turn on his way to second and he's in there. A four-hit night for Braun. And a drive into left center field. And it will go off the wall. Braun on his way to second with hit number five tonight. Here it comes. And a base hit into the right field. Bounces it. Here comes Grand Dog. Throw to the plate. And the Brewers win it. A six-hit night for Ryan Braun. And he walks it up. Highlights courtesy WTMJ, uh, Ryan Braun, a six-hit night. Now, obviously, it helped. The game went 18 innings yesterday. The Brewers beating the Mets a final of 4-3. to three. The last three games, Ryan Braun, 11 for 16. Uh, two homers and six RBIs. He's uh, boosted his average quite a bit. Uh, Milwaukee getting a win. I mentioned earlier, Milwaukee right now is two games back of St. Louis. They're a game and a half behind the Cubs. They're 19 and 16. The Cubs 18 and 12. St. Louis comes in 20 and 13. As we continue looking at highlights, Gary Sanchez is a youngster who showed everybody he can hit the ball. And yesterday he hit the ball and man, did it go a long way. Driven deep to left center field. There it goes. See ya. Another monster shot by Gary Sanchez. 6-3 twins. Give me some numbers, James. 444 feet. All right. Oh, I mean to tell you, that ball was absolutely crushed. Highlights courtesy of the Yes Network. Sanchez with the homer, but the Twins still beat the Yankees, a final of 7-3. And you may or may not know this, but when you look at the standings on this Sunday morning, the best team in Major League Baseball is the Minnesota Twins. The Minnesota Twins are 20-11. and 11. A win percentage is 645. Now, Tampa leads the East. They have a 636 winning percentage. Houston leads the West, a 576 percentage. Philadelphia leads the NL East at 563. St. Louis, the NL Central at 606. And the Dodgers, the West, at 629. Again, the Minnesota Twins are the best team in baseball as we go into today's action. In San Diego last night, full house as the Dodgers were in town. Manny Machado had already hit one homer, and then... In the air to left center field. That ball is back, and that ball is gone! Second home run of the night for Manny Machado. 3-1 Padres. Machado has done it again. Oh, yes, he did. And he's stepping up. Fernando Tatis Jr. is out for a little while with an injury, but it wasn't all Padres in San Diego. Muncie in the driver's seat at 3-1 and one against a tough lefty and Wick. Here it is. High drive right field. It is gone. Muncie gives the Dodgers the lead. Max Muncy with a three-run home run in the sixth inning. The Dodgers get a run late, and they knock off the Padres a final of 7-6. to six. 
Uh, and a lot of people were mentioning it's very, very cool to see that ballpark full. Uh, probably half the people were Dodgers fans yesterday, but uh, you could tell by the crowd there and just the sound on that sound bite uh, of how loud the crowd was. And you wouldn't think the Padre fans are cheering for Max Muncie unless you have him in your fantasy league, which I do, and I was happy about that. Uh, in Cincinnati, it was the Giants and the Reds. And the Reds have called up one of their youngsters. Nick Senzel was a guy that was drafted very, very high by the Cincinnati Reds, a third baseman. He's actually been playing center field, and uh, he's looking for his first round tripper of the season. Hit well in the center field. Pilar back. He's going to run out of room, folks. No, he caught it. <laughs> he did not run out of room. He caught it at the wall, and that's going to end the inning. Unbelievable. He just took away Nick Senzel's first major league home run. And Senzel thinking they don't do that in the SEC and they don't do that in AAA. Uh, Highlights courtesy NBC Sports Bay Area and also Fox Sports Ohio. Senzel is robbed of a homer by Kevin Pillar, but Senzel was not to be stopped. And here's Nick Senzel who had one stolen by Pilar, who went way above the fence and center in the third. And this ball is in the right field. Did he get it this time? The first home run for Nick Senzel. He drove that baby about 10 rows up into the moon deck and right. And young Mr. Senzel touches them all with his first major league home run. Very, very cool. The Reds were also wearing throwback uniforms yesterday. And speaking of uniforms, I know Cub fans are going to get mad at me, but that's nothing new. I've I've taken the wrath of Cub fans for years and years. The uniforms that St. Louis Cardinals wore yesterday are my favorite uniforms in all of baseball. Um, they've always been my favorite uniforms. When I was a kid growing up, I, I said... I told my dad, I go, these are great uniforms. I said, I got to get a, I think I even had a Cardinal shirt that was powder blue with the, with the, you know, the same look that that one had yesterday. Those uniforms are great. And, uh, Dan Katz, who joins, uh, Waddle and Sylvie, um, each and every week, he mentioned it on Twitter too, how much he liked the uniforms, but being a Cub fan, he goes, I can't say it. I can say it. I've always loved those uniforms. You can say what you want about me. I've always, always loved them. Uh, Ozzy Albies is a guy that a lot of people like, and the Braves love him too. Swing and a high fly ball belt in right field. It's a grand slam off the facade of the second deck. Oh, what a swing and how quick. They wanted a high target. Big mistake. Yeah, there's no doubt it was a big mistake. You heard Chip carry on the call from uh, Fox Sports down in Atlanta as Ozzy Albies with a grand slam in that game. A 9-2 win yesterday in their contest. Chip Carey, Fox Sports Atlanta. And finally, this guy came up. People were waiting and waiting. And I know the Toronto Blue Jays were waiting. Vlad Guerrero, and there's a lot of talk earlier in the week about when he came up and waiting for him to get his first hit. And then you're always waiting for a first. Ground ball, past the third baseman in the left field. Here comes Smoke around third. He'll score. Vladdy Guerrero has his first big league RBI. Yes, he did. His first big league RBI highlights courtesy of Toronto TV. Texas, though, goes on to an 8-5 win. So, again, uh, Twins best 
record in all of baseball, 20 and 11. Who would have thought that? Uh, we come back. We'll wrap things up. Talk about what happened last night in Los Angeles. Chicago Fire, LAFC. What a match. Still waiting for a goal, but we'll talk about it here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Eubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Don't ever let it be said that we do not try to make the fans happy. Because when we went to break, we had a phone caller who was upset. Because we played all of these highlights, all these baseball highlights. Ryan Braun with six hits and Gary Sanchez a home run and Manny Machado going deep and Max Muncy with a three-run blast and Kevin Pillar robbing Nick Senzel of a homer and then Senzel hitting one and Ozzy Albies with a grand slam and Vlad Guerrero Jr. with his first RBI and they were upset that we didn't play this from Wrigley yesterday. Here's Davis swing and a high fly ball. Left field on its way. Gone! Taylor Davis. They intentionally walk Schwarber and he hits a grand slam. Wow! His first hit of the year and for Davis he'll circle the bases and he's tied this game up. Unbelievable. So don't let it be said that we don't uh, try to satisfy the fans. That was uh, the Taylor Davis Grand Slam yesterday. Javi Baez went deep in the eighth inning. Cubs have won six in a row, and they go for the sweep of the Cardinals. And they can take over first place in the National League Central with a win tonight. It'll be Quintana going against Wainwright. 6.05, a game you can see on ESPN TV. Last night on ESPN Plus, it started at 9.30. The Chicago Fire were wrapping up a three-game road trip, taking on LAFC. Bob Bradley, the former coach of the Chicago Fire, when the Fire were first formed back in 1998 and did the double, winning the MLS Cup and also the U.S. Open Cup. And uh, LAFC is off to a really good start. They're 5-0 and at home. The Fire were wrapping up, as I mentioned, a three-game road trip. They were in New York against NYCFC. They were in Montreal. Things didn't work out very well in both places. So you didn't know what to expect. The uh, Chicago Fire and LAFC battle for 90 minutes and then five minutes of stoppage time at the end to a 0-0 draw. Uh, Nemanja Nikolic with a uh, goal line clearance in the first half, a huge goal line clearance as it looked like LAFC was about to take the lead in the first half. But Nikolic, who not only scores goals, but can also play some defense, he did it by clearing the ball off the line. Frankowski, uh, Premislav and uh, Frankowski, I thought I'd screw up the first name, and then I screw up the second name. Uh, Frankowski was playing the right back position. He's been playing a right wing or up top. He played the right back position, did very, very well yesterday, uh, keeping LAFC winger Diego Rossi relatively quiet. And then when the game was over, Brittany Arnold from um, ESPN Plus on the broadcast, along with Dan Kelly and Frank Lopez. They had a chance to talk to Bastian Schweinsteiger. And Schweinsteiger, you know, the football god from uh, Germany. And um, he's been with the Chicago Fire. This is his third year. And uh, Brittany asked him about the three-game road trip. And he kind of got like a wry smile on his face and said, well, we only allowed two goals in the three games, but we haven't scored any. 
And that's true. They lost to NYCFC 1-0. They lost to Montreal 1-0. And it was a 0-0 draw last night. So they went on the road after a 4-1 win over Colorado. And they have not scored a goal in their last three games. Now, the Chicago Fire have a chance to remedy that. They have two home games this week. Wednesday night... New England Revolution come to town at SeatGeek Stadium out in Bridgeview. It is a 7 o'clock start. Then on Saturday, Minnesota FC comes to town. That is also a 7 o'clock start. The Chicago Fire need to score some goals and need to do it quickly. They had a chance last night. I mentioned how Nemanja Nikolic had a couple of a really nice uh, clearance of the on the goal line, uh, which prevented a goal by LAFC. He also... Had two golden opportunities to score goals in the second half of the game yesterday. One, he put both of them, he put over the net, and it's, yeah. The fire had so many chances in the second half. I'm a big, obviously a big baseball fan, huge football fan. There is no sport more frustrating if you're a fan than being a soccer fan. Believe it or not, I know you guys are laughing, you're driving off the road, you're laughing so hard. If you're a soccer fan, there is no sport more frustrating to see your team struggling. And uh, that's what's been going on with the Chicago Fire right now. They need to score some goals. Hopefully they start on Wednesday night when they take on the New England Revolution again. 7 o'clock on Wednesday evening and catch the game on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, you keep hearing the commercials here on ESPN 1000. Uh, the new uh, ESPN+, Plus. it's more than a year old. It costs four ninety nine a month. Not only do you get all the Chicago Fire games that are not on ESPN or FS1 or something like that, but you also get every game in Major League Soccer that's not on the national networks. You get soccer from Italy. You get soccer from Holland. You get all kinds of great stuff. And you can also, also get some great content. You get the Kevin Durant um, um, shows. You get some of the stuff from LeBron James. You get lots of great stuff. So if you do not subscribe to ESPN Plus, and I know you say you already got a cable bill, you got this, you got this. If you buy a coffee or two at Starbucks, it's going to cost you less than that to get ESPN Plus. Um, no one told me to promote ESPN Plus, but I have it. I pay for it. I do not have it for free, and uh, it is well worth the four ninety nine per month. And you pay for the whole year, you actually get a discount. Uh, thanks for just to Jesse Rogers for jumping on in. Cubs and Cardinals. Cubs go for their seventh straight win. Uh, Felix Reyes, all of his help as always. And thanks for listening. Have a great, great afternoon. Let's see if we can get a doubleheader win for the Chicago teams. White Sox on the south side, Cubs on the north. See you later, everyone. Thanks for listening to ESPN 1000.